0: i don't exactly know what that was but outside of that we are gonna get going here pretty fast there's not much i want to say to start everything out no crazy story no super awesome snow event other than tailgating at a blizzard on saturday and yeah that was it it was fun 14 to 7 north dakota win over illinois state doesn't matter super boring football game but I tailgated in a blizzard for the first time. So that was fun. What I want to do today is a couple new things. Things I haven't really done so far on the show. Uh I want to go into Eternals, actually, because I saw that movie and I've been seeing and hearing a lot of different things about this movie. And it was kind of like, okay, I get why you don't like it. I get why you like it. So I kind of just, I want to talk about Eternals for a minute. So I like I said at the start of of the first episode I was like this isn't going to be entirely sports now most of it is going to be up until football season ends and it's kind of it's just the mid part of the season for for basketball and hockey but I did want to I did want to take a look at Eternals I did kind of want to give my thoughts on it just because I do think it's it is relevant it's something I want to talk about because a lot of people have been talking about it. I've seen a lot of discussion over it. I've seen a lot of argument I I honestly can't think of a marvel film where there were more controversial reviews on it people that loved it and hated it i mean kind of with ragnarok but i don't know there's just been something about this movie that's kind of captivated me and i just i just want to talk about it so we're we'll start with an eternals review i'll do a little bit of like non-spoiler and then i'll get into some spoiler stuff so But don't worry, I won't just like say exactly what happens. And spoil the movie for all of you that care so deeply about not having Eternals spoiled for you. Uh, And then the next new thing that we're going to do that I actually did, but then scrapped it because there were just awful things happening. And I was not willing to put that out on my massive platform. Uh, I'm going to talk about North Dakota hockey. I'm going to do some of that first time I've done that. Cause they had I wanted to talk about this Denver series that they had a week and a half ago, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. there were a few important things I wanted to talk about with that. but obviously that series passed and they smacked Denver and Carter Savoy went head hunting and you know it was fun. It was a fun series. It was uh, actually I brought I brought a family member up first time that they had gone to North Dakota hockey game. very pleasant experience. I also went to North Dakota football games, so that was fun. But I do want to talk about North Dakota hockey, and a lot of the things I want to say with North Dakota hockey is the same as what I would have said for the Denver series. You know, assuming that all hell didn't break loose and they decided that they were going to drop the bomb against Miami, right? They decided they were going to smack Denver the way they did and then have a disheartening split against Miami, it'd be a bit of a different conversation. But all that said, they went to Miami. They swept Miami. They swept DU. Miami of Ohio, of course, not Miami, Florida. We don't go there. But anyways, um, so what I want to do is is I want to talk about this Duluth series that's going to come up here relatively quickly. I mean, it's already Wednesday, so they start this series starts in two days. And this is a big, this is a big Duluth series coming up. And I want to talk about some of the some of the things that I think can go right for this team, some of the things that can go wrong for this team, where I think they can go, where I think they're realistically headed, and where it would be good for them to go with this with this series coming up. And like I said, a lot of it was what I wanted to say when Denver was coming to town. Just the thing with that was... that the Denver series was the NCHC opener for them. And it was, I don't know, we just kind of wanted to take a look at the non-conference, see what was going on, what went right, what went wrong and what needs to change in conference play. And I think a lot of that is still true up to this point because we are only two series into conference play. It is only mid-November and there's a lot of hockey left to play and they're they're officially now into the depths of their schedule. So we're going to do some... North Dakota hockey. I wanna do a bit of Lions. Yeah. I wanna do a bit of Lions, unfortunately. But I it is I it's actually this is gonna be one of the more uh, outside of what I did last week with the whole bi week fiasco with my Baltimore Ravens frenzy of pain when they when I talked about what happened with the Ravens. I actually I have something to look at. There was actually something to take away from this game outside of the fact that the team's terrible, right? Our head coach is actually calling the plays. I could evaluate that. So there was something to evaluate evaluate with this team, which is nice because I haven't had anything to look at with this team because I knew immediately Jared. Like once once I found out Jared Goff wasn't the guy, it was like okay. Sewell's not playing the position we drafted him to play. Okuda's hurt. DeAndre Swift's proven and good. And Hawkinson. I uh, Hawkinson is Hawkinson. I, I'm at a crossroads with TJ Hawkinson. But I'm not that's something that I'll not be talking about right now. I do want to give my thoughts on what happened with Dan Campbell, with the team, why it ended the way it did. Is there a silver lining or is it just completely disgraceful and I hate it? So I, I, I hint it's the second one. It's completely disgraceful and I hate it. But I, that is for later. That is for later in the show. For now, in and at the end, I might do, if I have time, right? If I have some sort of. Because I am, as crazy as it is for people to believe, there are other things that I have to do. I do have somewhat of a life. It. It it exists, we'll put it that way. It exists, but if at the end I will I will make a couple mentions about the Michigan State Ohio State game coming up because that's a big game and just a couple like weird things, right? I'm not a I'm not a gambling man, and I don't usually plan to be a gambling man once I become old enough. Obviously, because nobody gambles when they're under twenty one. That's just not how that works. Because that's the rules. Follow the rules, right? Just like everybody else does. I follow the rules. You should follow the rules too. But anyways. Michigan State, Ohio State. just The line on that game is stupid. And the, there's just some weird stuff with that game. And I I just kind of wanted to look at some of the statistics. And if I have time, I'll go into it. But if I spend too much time on Eternals and North Dakota hockey and the Lions. And then, yeah. So if, if I have some time, we'll go into that. And then if something crazy happens and I just blast through all of this... I will talk about Michigan because I do have a little thing with Michigan that I want to talk about, kind of where Michigan fits Michigan football, of course. Now, I will not talk about the Michigan basketball loss to Seton Hall because I am not like my counterparts in Ann Arbor who make a big deal about Michigan State losing in the first week of the season against Kansas. You lost to Seton Hall. Whatever. Move on. Haha. Ha. It was fun for me for like 20 minutes, and then I realized it was November whatever, the 16th, and it doesn't matter. Oh well. So I'm not an animal. It's just, yes, it was funny. You lost to Seton Hall. I laughed, and then I moved on because I'm mature about it. Whatever. Win, win more games. It doesn't matter. Congratulations. You're still... Top 10 team, you're gonna, you're still better than us, you're gonna beat us twice, and that's it. Whatever. Anyways, that's, that's all coll- that's all the college basketball talk for the next two months. So, where does Michigan fit in the college football playoff race? Where do I think they should fit? What's my take on the rankings? Cause the college football playoff rankings, there's a little bit of a controversial enigma, and anyone that follows college football and the playoff rankings knows what I'm talking about with one team being ranked ahead of another and why that is potentially despite the fact that the team in back beat the team in front and I'm not talking about the controversy of the actual game I'm talking about the controversy of the ranking so but yes that will be that's the agenda I am gonna start with the Eternals and I'll be completely honest the likelihood that I even get to Michigan football on this show is incredibly unlikely. So if you're weird and you're only listening because Michigan football is the greatest thing ever and you want to hear everyone say everything about Michigan football, chances are you're not getting in this show. So, goodbye. But Eternals. Okay. The thing with Eternals in this so this will be I'll I'll let you know when I'm going to actually get into spoilers for this film, so don't don't worry if you really care that much about it. So, Eternals, I saw it opening night, no need to flex, but I did see it opening night in in North Dakota, I mean it was a packed, it was a packed North Dakota theater, let me tell you that right now, this this theater, 10 people, it was loaded on opening night, Thursday night, not even Friday, it was Thursday night, because I said the movie comes out Friday, but they have the evening, Thursday evening screenings, I was at one of those Thursday evening screenings, and I saw it, but with all the no all flexing aside, I liked it. It wasn't great. It wasn't fantastic. It wasn't even probably top half. But I liked it. Oh hey, look, the speaker turned off. Okay. That's nice. Anyways, it wasn't in my top top ten, top whatever. I think there's twenty six, whatever, twenty six Marvel movies. Would it be in my top thirteen? No but it, but it wouldn't be last, it wouldn't be really close to last if I'm being completely honest like on in the the tomato meter, which I don't really I don't care about critics scores, really. I mean the outlier is obviously the last Jedi, right? like as soon I realized that the critics were doing some sort of illegal drugs when rating movies when they gave the last Jedi a plus ninety percent score on Rotten Tomatoes like what what do you what's going on here okay why is The Last Jedi that high so I don't really like take what the critics say for gospel but when I saw that Eternals was 18 per was was the worst ranked movie Marvel movie based on the tomato meter and by 18 percent 18 percent lower than Thor 2 I was like how How is it that much worse than than thor thor the dark world is is literally an ugly dark movie there's no the the color palette is is gray it's dark gray it's like this off shade of like gray blue there's black it's just it's such an odd like thing and it I, i i was not I'm not saying Thor The Dark World is a terrible movie, I think it has redeeming aspects, but it is not 18% better than Eternals. There's there's no way, but then anyways, so for those of you that have been hearing people say, like, Eternals is terrible, Eternals is awful, don't waste your time, don't go see Eternals, I would say, mm, I mean, don't waste a ton of money and like buy these deluxe theater tickets to see Eternals and, like, go all out with your movie-going experience. But I wouldn't say completely skip it. I mean, there's some there's some valuable things that happen in Eternals, and obviously the post-credit scenes can set up more than the rest of the entire movie sets up. It gives you—and that's kind of what a post-credit scene is supposed to do, at least in the Marvel world. But definitely I think it's worth to see. Like, some people that I know that have seen every Marvel movie in theaters— since probably like Civil War, The Winter Soldier even, they're like, Yeah, I don't know, I don't really think I'm gonna go see Eternals. I don't see much of a point in seeing it and and if you're thinking that, that's fine. I can understand, but I would say look, if you if you get some free time and you just you want something to do for two and a half hours on a Thursday evening, go go see it. It's worth it's worth a look. And if you wanna wait for it to come out on Disney Plus, then wait for it to come out on Disney Plus. There's no shame in that if you're a if you're a plus subscriber, but I definitely I definitely think it was worth worth the look. Kind of similar to how Black Widow was, people were like, "Oh, Black Widow's coming out this long. It's like there's no point seeing Black Widow. Everything's been set up with Loki. What story is Black Widow gonna tell? Why should I waste my time and money to go see Black Widow, or why should I get Disney premiere access to watch it on Disney Plus?" And and I think that argument is definitely valid, right? But I will say that Eternals definitely has value to it. I think it has more value to it than Black Widow does. Black Widow was a story that needed to be told, but it was unfortunate because everything got delayed and they couldn't put it in theaters, where when Black Widow came out, it was just like... Nobody cares. Loki is, you know, Loki's the stuff. There's no reason to go see Black Widow because of everything that the Loki series set up. So, but with Eternals, Eternals came out when it was meant to come out. It came out surrounding the stories that it was meant to surround. And I think, I think it's worth your time, really. And and I was someone that wasn't into the comics. Like, I'm not like, I'm not balls deep into the comics, like st- other people that i know and if you're if you're so deep into those comics then i mean that's that's cool you have more dedication and mind space than i do because i couldn't i have no idea what's happening so i just went into the eternals movie with the backup knowledge of just seeing the mcu films i didn't i didn't know the history of the eternals and the celestials and the comics i didn't really i didn't really have any idea what was going on so i I pretty much went in blind outside of the other past mcu films and then and then the trailers that had come out for eternals so i mean i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna give it a whatever out of 10 i'm not gonna put it where it compares to other marvel films i'm just gonna say look don't prioritize it don't drop everything because you need to go see Eternals don't miss your 20th wedding anniversary because you bought tickets to see Eternals like that's not that's not the type of movie that it is but go see it go take a look or wait for it to come out on Disney plus it's definitely it's definitely worth your time i think it's a beautiful film i mean seriously this the way the film is the cinematography, like I think that's the right word. I took a film class in high school, but yeah. But anyways. <laughs> anyways. The just the the color the thing my here, okay. I'll put it this way. The Dark World, like I said, was I mean that was just an ugly movie. And and it was pretty uninteresting. The whole Elven deal was like, okay, Malakith. I mean, I, Malekith's voice was kind of, like, awesome, but I, it was just, it was like, there was no stakes, it didn't feel like it mattered, and why should I, what's the point of even watching this film again, right, I, I watched The Dark World once, and then I didn't watch it again until just a random night where I was like, I think I was re-watching all the MCU films before Endgame came out, and I was like, "All right, let's just get it get it out of the way, watch them all, recap before Endgame." And then I was going, I was going through in timeline order, and then Thor: The Dark World popped up, and I was like, "This movie exists. I forgot about this movie." And turns out, oh yeah, there is a second Thor movie, <laughs> and then I watched it, and that was the second time I'd watched The Dark World, probably like four years three or four years after watching it for the first time and so thor was there was no it just felt like there were no stakes We're now eternals it takes a while and there's a lot of exposition but the stakes are there the stakes get risen it's an important fight physically and also morally and ethically and i really liked that i like seeing not only the characters fight physically i also liked the moral dilemma and watching them fight with fight and you know fight each other's heads like who who is right who is wrong not just not just who's stronger who's weaker who can kill each other first who's really on the right side of things who is in the moral and ethical right and there are plot details about the film that go into why one group thinks one way and why another group thinks another way, and there was there were just a lot of interesting and I liked how the film kind of went through the history of us through the different left through a different lens through the lens of people who aren't from here, kind of they live among us, but they aren't us, so they they just kind of observe it's like me coming from you know southeast Michigan up to north dakota where it's like you know i'm not in north dakota and i'm not from here but i'm kind of observing how you guys live and seeing how things operate here and how they operate differently compared to that of a much more you know urban environment it's it's it was fun to see a different look on you know humanity's history and how this group of people contributed to it and so that's that's pretty much like all the non-spoiler that i have to say about the actual film so i mean if you're like shaking because you don't want me to spoil the film you should probably just stop listening because i'm actually gonna spoil the film and i'm just gonna get right into it like deep into the post-credit scenes and this kind of epic reveal but also kind of not epic but epic because it's like completely awesome so okay the people that don't care about the movie being spoiled are still listening, and now I'm actually able to talk about the spoilers of the movie. So, post-credit scene: the man hops through a portal, and he shows up on I think I think it's called the Domo or something. Whatever the triangle, no, is it a triangle? Whatever their ship is, the floating flat thing in the sky that looks like a Squared UFO kind of. Anyways, Eros, Eros, brother of Thanos, pops in to the post-credit scene as an eternal. As we're like, as he's like, I am an eternal, and it's like, oh, so someone that knows what's happening in the comics is like oh yeah no it's that guy he's definitely an eternal i know who this is and i'm sitting here like why is harry styles on the movie screen and so that's when i was like okay i need to figure out who this guy is because everyone around me is like having a seizure and i'm just sitting here like isn't that the guy who sings watermelon sugar so i <laughs> it's just like what's happening and everyone else is like oh, oh, oh. and everyone's like i'm like Everyone's on hyped up on testosterone or something. I'm like, when the hell's going on here? So then I realized, oh, it's Eros. Okay, cool. So now Eros is in the film, and it's like, okay, this guy is an Eternal. This guy is the brother of Thanos, and he's gonna help our Eternals find other Eternals. So that sounded weird. But those of you that have seen the film know what I'm talking about. So there's a group of Eternals that survived, that didn't fly into the sun, that weren't crushed by the Deviants, that weren't sent, like, grabbed out of Earth by the head Celestial, Erashim, I think was his name. And there's three, there's just a group of eternals on the domo and it's it's i think it's it's druig fastos and oh what was the speedy girl's name but anyways that 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 person i think it was three of them i don't think i'm forgetting any. i might be but anyways eros pops in and he's like yo i'm gonna help you and pip then pip the Pip the dwarf he pops into, or Pip the Pip the Troll, I think Troll? Troll or Dwarf. But anyways. Him and Pip pop in, and it's like, okay, brother of Thanos. And so then I'm that that makes me think to myself, Okay, if Thanos is the brother of Eros, Eros is an eternal, is Thanos an eternal? Now if he's not, that's fine. But that would also lead me to think, wait a minute, did Eros tell Thanos what was happening with the Celestials? And so the whole, the whole, I probably should have started with this, the the plot of, the basic plot of the film is that there are Celestials, baby, literally baby Celestials put into different planets. And when a Celestial is born or emerges hence the reason why it was called an emergence the entire planet on which the celestial was hidden inside the core of the planet is just completely destroyed so earth had a celestial inside of it named tiamat and tiamat was emerging he was hatching from his little celestial egg and earth was gonna just be completely destroyed and so the thing is when a celestial is born they help create other galaxies and other planets and things like that so it was sacrifice one planet to save or sacrifice one planet to create other planets and galaxies so that was basically the main plot of the film that was the main conflict was how do we stop this Emergence from happening, or do we allow this emergence to happen because it was our calling as Eternals to help the humans grow and populate the Earth so that the Earth had enough energy to generate this emergence? And once the population hit a certain amount, the emergence could take place because there was enough energy to let baby celestial hatch. So <laughs> that's pretty much how it works. And so that was that was the main conflict between the characters was, you know, do we allow this to happen? Do we allow these people to, you know, just die for the sake of other galaxies to be created? That was the goal. And then Icarus was like, yeah, duh, that's my calling. That's what's going to happen. We're going to let this happen because, you know, good soldiers follow orders. So that was the main moral the dilemma, which I liked. And I liked how each of the characters had to deal with that. And I liked how... How Icarus had to be on the opposite side of Circe, and you know, it was like, "Dang, girl, you're kind of cute, but like, I don't agree with what you're doing, so I'm gonna try and kill you, but then I'm not gonna be able to kill you because I tapped and I can't, I can't kill you because we like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do anything to hurt you despite how much we disagree. So I'm just gonna fly into the sun and kill myself." <laughs> it's like all right Icarus peace out bruh so but but anyways it was I I I take away from the serious nature of it just because that's kind of what I do I'm not I mean I'm a serious person but it was I don't know I liked I liked the moral dilemma I really did I liked watching these characters have to deal with that but back to the Thanos angle of it Did Thanos know, had Eros told Thanos, and did Thanos understand that, look, there are celestials on different planets, and once these planets' populations grow, these planets are just going to completely be dismantled and explode for the sake of other galaxies being created. So I'm obviously not saying that Thanos was in the right. That's crazy. That's insane. But what I am saying is that Eternals kind of and has the potential to expand and give a deeper element to what Thanos was doing in Infinity War. Now, in Endgame, Thanos is just like, I'm going to kill everything. So that's where it's like, okay, Thanos is still crazy, and why would we allow this to happen? It's not exactly saying that thanos knew about the celestials in the planets but what i'm saying is i think there's potential that there was more to the story with infinity war and maybe and and once endgame came came around it was like okay i'm gonna restart the universe and I, how maybe i'm just gonna kill the celestials with it and there'd be no point this the head Arishim would just have to replant his baby celestials again and just go go from there. So it, it was kinda of, it just it just made me think, because I was like, look, if Eros is the brother of Thanos, then maybe Thanos knew what was happening with the celestials on the planets, and obviously on top of wanting to avoid overpopulation in the most cruel way possible, he was like, Look, other positive that I'm not gonna mention is if I do this, I depopulate half the universe and i get what i want so that people don't deal with overpopulation anymore but i also save certain planets that have baby celestials planted in them and i delay emergences all over the universe and so and then the avengers went and undid that in endgame and hastened the process and it was interesting when i when i was watching and they were like the the blip or whatever brought with, when everyone came back, started the emergence that hastened the process of the emergence on Earth, and, and it was like, oh, uh uh oh, like the the Avengers went. And they started the end of the world, potentially, by what had happened, or they were somewhat responsible. And obviously they were doing the right thing and what they thought was right. There was just an unintended consequence of what they did. And I was like, dang, that kind of, then added another depth to Endgame and the decision that the Avengers made in Endgame. So I was like, whoa, this is, this is really tying in more to Infinity War in Endgame than I thought it would. I thought it would go more into multiverse stuff that Loki, that Loki had been setting up and that we're getting ready for with the Spider-Man movie. But it was like, speaking of which, interesting trailer, Spider-Man just dropped last night. That was very interesting. You aren't Peter Parker. Oh, really? Well, then then who, then who, who are you looking for? Anyways, so yes, I do like what Eternals did with Endgame and with Infinity War and kind of took a different angle on it and added depth. To the stories that are being told, with with the decision making and kind of what's going on in in characters' heads as things happen in Infinity War, with with Thanos and the unintended consequences of what happened with everyone coming back in Endgame, and you saw that you saw that in Spider Man, you saw that in Far From Home, where you know, and you see it more in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier as well. You see the world kind of have to deal with everyone coming back and the chaos that ensues and things like that but also now bringing everyone back hastened the process of the emergence and it's like oh why did maybe the avengers should have just left things the way they were before maybe thanos did the right thing but no i doubt thanos obviously wasn't doing the right thing but i do like how we kind of get the opposite of thanos in the film we get Thanos but completely different so Eros is definitely interesting to see in the MCU Harry Styles is in the MCU now and it's I'm just you know I'm curious to see where this goes I liked that it kind of drew me in and I am I am gonna actually I'm gonna watch the movie again because I want this is I've seen it once I've seen the movie once and I've like looked at What did the like? Why was the post credit scene so important? What did I miss? Because I'm stupid. I don't know what's happening. But yes, now that Eros is in the MCU, it's like okay. Now we get to learn a little bit more about Thanos's history. And as soon as I, I didn't know who Eros was, but then I heard brother of Thanos, and I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay, brother of Thanos. All right. I mean, I'm I'm down. (laughs) Cool. I mean, he doesn't exactly look like thanos i mean he's not purple purple there's it's he's just a normal human being so i just hope for the i just hope i don't have to deal with eros car memes like i had to deal with those stupid thanos car memes those were awful so as long as i don't start seeing eros car memes i'll be fine moving on from eros blade blade decides to pop in dane Whitman talking about his complicated family history. And all the people with the comics knew what was coming as soon as Dane Whitman was talking about his family history. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't know what's happening. Cool, they're flying, and that dude's launching laser beams out of his eyes, and this guy throws discs, and this girl moves fast, and this other girl can make volcanoes in like create out of her mind and this other girl can turn buses into butterflies this is fun but everyone's looking at dane wetman and they're like uh i have a feeling i know what this guy is so second post credit scene good old blade the little voice in the back of the head are you sure you're ready for this or whatever he says and i'm like oh who's that voice and i was i was similar to the video that the review video that i watched it was like kind of sounded like the watcher and i was and from what if and as soon as i was as i was watching the movie i was like yeah that kind of sounds like the watcher is like Cause what's going on and it was kind of like the voice was coming from this like you couldn't see the voice But, like, if the Watcher was talking to people that he was watching, they could hear him. So it was like, is the Watcher just chilling back there watching Dane Whitman take a nice little gander at the Ebony Blade? And so definitely the – Deborah Chow confirmed in what it was like a video or some sort of something – where the the person asked like is that blade is the voice in the post credit scene blade in the background and she was like Yep it's Blade And so Blade is now ready to make his grand appearance in the MCU. So there's a lot there's a lot going on with Eternals, obviously in the film, but after the film it's like, okay, there's a lot of different ways that this can get taken. And now The ebony blade is involved with everything, and the ebony blade, based on my intel and what I know, has the ability to kill celestials. So, and I think, I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that that blade is responsible for the severed head of the celestial in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The Nowhere, right? I'm pretty sure that that head, that celestial head, is was killed by that blade that Dane Whitman takes a nice little look at there in that post credit scene. And now that blade is involved, it gives a little bit more just how the story can continue and, and where, where it can go. Because as I was watching the film, just, just sitting there, I was like, okay, this is cool, this is fun. Athena is weird and has mind issues and there's all this stuff going on and druid's like balling out and it's like okay this is cool this is fun but i don't necessarily get it like why am i here what is the purpose of all this what do i have to look forward to and now that the ebony blade's back involved blade is in the mcu and they're different, you know, basically somebody's about to go celestial hunting because I've, at the end of the film, Cersei gets zapped up by uh, Cer- I There was another person, I think, that got, I maybe mean, maybe it was just Cersei that got zucked up by the Arishim. And so now Dane, Dane I think, knows what's happening and he's going to be on a celestial hunting mission. <laughs> To, to save Xerxes or, something, Xerxes or something like that. But anyways, it was like, okay, there's some pretty cool stuff going on with this film. And, and at the end, and just some of the stuff that it did, for the mcu and i I was waiting for the multiverse tie because everything is multiverse now right multiverse of madness coming out no way home there's everything with is you know is andrew garfield gonna be in it well chances are he is because of that or so whoever right so there's there's a lot of different like multiverse stuff and as soon as as soon as the movie ended i was like okay this was cool. This was fun. There were high stakes and I w- I liked the imagery. The movie was colorful. It was beautiful. I liked going through the history of earth through the views of the eternals, but what do I have to look forward to? Why should I care about these characters going forward? And the post-credit scenes definitely did that, did that for me. So I, it's definitely, it's definitely worth why worth. It's definitely worth the view. I would say that there's definitely no doubt in my mind that it was not a waste of my time. It wasn't a waste of my money. And if people want to wait to see it on Disney+, then go for it. Wait and, wait until you watch it on Disney+. Plus. There's no There's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. But another thing that I wanted to say about Eternals, I was kind of confused because I was like, why... Why did the Dakotas keep popping up? <laughs> like, it's just, it's, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, saying there's some weird stuff going on in the Dakotas, but I'm pretty sure in just this phase, the Dakotas have been mentioned three times. I think it got mentioned once in WandaVision, it got mentioned once in What If, and then, oh, uh, Salma <sighs> Hayek's character, I'm completely blanking out Ajack, yeah a- Ajack, age Aj- whatever her name was but yeah, i'm pretty close her character literally lives is just chilling on a ranch in south dakota and i'm like why are the dakotas popping into the mcu all of a sudden like just like send them to wyoming or colorado or something what's the deal with the dakotas <laughs> it was just i don't know it was just a weird thing when i saw it i was like Okay, why in the world am I hearing, like, nobody cares about the Dakotas, and now in phase four of the MCU, I've heard the Dakotas mentioned three times in whatever, the seven series or seven theatrical releases slash TV. It's the seventh installment of this phase of the MCU. theres There have been three mentions of the Dakotas, and that's three more than the rest of the three phases before so i was like okay cool the dakotas are now being officially recognized as a state or as two states in the united states it was just like okay whatever Ajack lives in south dakota and then got betrayed by icarus and got taken to alaska and was killed by deviants but with with the whole uh icarus betrayal or maybe not betrayal from his point of view because he's just doing what he thinks is right. I did like the twist. I did like how Icarus, like Icarus knew the whole time what the that the Eternals were just they weren't humans. They were just these like android type things and they their only mission was to watch earth and then they would have their memories wiped and then they'd start over again and Icarus was like, I'm fine with that. This is what I do. This is my purpose, and hopefully I just get to see my girl again. And it's like, okay, well, that's not going to happen because you flew into the sun and commit suicide. But before that, everyone was just acting like everything was normal, and Icarus was acting like everything was normal, and he was still chill with Cersei. And now it's like, okay, I knew this whole time. I'm the one that killed Ajax and i'm kind of the bad guy in the film but also i'm just the guy that's doing his version of what he thinks is right and he's like look these celestials they create galaxies they they sacrifice whatever seven billion lives on earth for 100 billion new lives to be created in other universes, and or in other galaxies, and on other planets, and in other solar systems. And it was like, dang, bruh, you got an argument. You're making a solid argument here. I mean, I wouldn't have been on the side of Icarus, but I get why, you know, Sprite took Icarus's side, and, and Druig was just chilling, and Druig didn't really care up until the end i mean when he smacked sprite with the rock that was kind of funny but drew just wanted to do his own thing and then just seeing how sprite and it like sprite didn't want to be on earth she saw everything that other people had and she just wanted for himself and living on earth for her was just torture and it was like dang that's kind of tough like how can how can I not sympathize with that, right? Because I'm 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 a Lions fan. I live on Earth. It is torture. It is actual torture. So I can't I can't shame the girl for taking Icarus's side and just being like, look, I want to forget everything that ever happened here, and I'm gonna just start new somewhere else, and hopefully not deal with the pain of not being able to be in love with somebody or live a normal human life and just be okay not being like these people so i think i think it was an interesting moral dilemma of are we willing to sacrifice 7 billion lives the lives that we watched for centuries are we willing to just let it all disappear immediately for the sake of a creation of another universe or another galaxy for hundreds of billions of lives are we willing to stop the creation of hundreds of billions of lives to save this this planet, this planet that we've lived on, and that was that was what salma Hayek's character was like yeah i'm will i I don't want this to happen, I don't want the emergence to happen i want we've watched these people we've watched over them, and we've watched them grow and evolve, and she was not willing to let the emergence happen she wanted to delay the emergence and Icarus was not was not feeling it and so he betrays Ajax he kills her and just leaves her in South Dakota where her where him Cersei and Sprite find her and that and you know the when the deviant was healing itself it was like People are like they'd never been able to do that before. That's kind of odd. Why is it allowed to do that? And I kind of tipped them off, like, uh oh, did they, did it, take Ajax's power? And turns out, yeah, it did, because your boy with the laser eyes went and did his own thing and went and killed her. And so I liked I, I liked how they kind of had to fight against each other, and it was definitely. There were definitely parallels with the Avengers, and obviously one of the characters is like, "I could lead the Avengers," or "Who's going to lead the Avengers now?" And then Icarus is like, "Yo, I could lead them. Yeah, bro, you'd be a you'd be a great leader, boss." I it reminded me kind of of what Zemo says in Civil War. It was like he said, "You know, an empire toppled by its enemies can rise again, but that which crumbles within, that's dead forever." And the Eternals their little group their empire was crumbling from within because they each had different ideas on what their purpose was what they should do for the rest of their lives are they willing to deviate haha <laughs> now they're now the eternals are the deviants because they're deviating from what Ereshim wants so I, I, that was kind of funny to me too it was it was definitely interesting to see how the Eternals, how each one kind of analyzed and looked at the moral dilemma going on, and some were like, "We can't let this happen," and some were like, "This has to happen. That's our purpose. We've been at this for centuries. Are we willing? Are we? Are we really willing to just say that we can let we can let these people die?" And some were like, "Yes," and some were like, "No." And so I I, I really. I really liked it, to be honest with you, it wasn't and and I'm talking about it like it's this super fantastic movie there's There's some weird stuff it starts really slow, it takes a while to get into it, but it's worth it once everything gets started, and it's it's good i really i i liked it i'm not it's not top half, it's not top ten. But it's a good film, and it was worth my time from someone that didn't know and honestly didn't really care. Maybe I liked it just because my expectations were low, and I wasn't thinking about it as so. I didn't have the same expectations going into this game, into this game, into this movie as I did with Endgame. So that, I guess that's just kind of why maybe that's maybe why I liked it a little bit more than than I thought or just than I really wanted to because I didn't I didn't really care. I just wanted to be entertained for two and a half hours and turns out I was and there's there was a little bit more to the story than what I thought there was gonna be so it was definitely I'm definitely glad that I went that I went and saw it and I definitely look forward to seeing it again just to just to bring everything full circle because I want to pick it now that I actually know what's happening I want to take another look at it and really see how how good the film like actually is now that I know what's going on now that i know the comic book references now that i know kind of the full scale of everything that happens and it was definitely good and i don't i shouldn't have said i shouldn't have said see how good the movie actually is because the fact that that i knew what was happening with the comics it didn't make the movie worse to me it was just like okay this is what they were doing and now with that info that I know I want to rewatch the movie again and see if I still feel the same way about it. And I think, it, I think I will feel the same way. I might even end up liking the movie better because now I have more context on what's actually happening within the story. So the last thing, last thing that I'll say about Eternals, my favorite character was Druig. That man, that man is awesome he literally just is like i'm doing my own thing i'm going to control these people's minds because i can and there's nothing you're going to do to stop me and i'm just doing what i want i'm super powerful leave me alone and he and he when he finds out it it broke him when he found out that there was no per- like they were just these ai like not really ai but whatever they were they weren't humans and their memories have been erased everything is a lie he was just like okay i this is stupid why should i even care about anything now and he just kind of chills by himself and he everyone he just mind controls everyone and his his power is awesome the way i don't know i just i feel just the way druig presents himself it was like wow this dude rocks like, this guy is awesome. So I loved I loved Druig's character. My least favorite character was Dane Whitman until the end because I didn't know who Dane Whitman was. People that were watching the film that knew who Dane Whitman was in the comics were like, oh, yo, this is cool. I know what this guy is going to be. And I'm just sitting there like, can this dude shut up about Cersei? Like, we know she's hot, but, like, she likes Icarus, bro. Leave, just leave the girl alone. She's married, but like not married, cause homeboy went and ran away. But it's like just leave the girl alone, let her keep turning buses into roses, and just move on. So it's like he's got a nice beard. He lives in London. There's plenty of there's plenty of weird fish in the sea. So I was like, I mean, you don't you don't need to date an eternal man. Just go date somebody else. He was just kind of sitting there, and I was like, okay cool you're asking questions about why didn't you help fight thanos and it's valuable and but just i don't really care that you're here (laughs) it's like there's not there's nothing more to it other than the fact that i just didn't really care that he was there outside of him asking why they didn't fight thanos but then obviously at the end we find out who he is and what's going on i was like oh Okay, cool. Never mind. Dane Whitman's awesome. I'm sorry for everything that I ever thought in my head while watching the film. So now after completely watching the film and seeing all the post credit scenes and everything, my least favorite character is is gonna have to be Sprite. And it's it's kinda tough for me to say that because I think her character it's, it was, it played perfectly, acting was perfect, they nailed exactly what the directors wanted Sprite to be as a character, so it's not like, it's not dinging the acting performance, it's not dinging the, the, um, portrayal of the character, it's more of just like, dang, this character is like, depressing, it's like, this girl lived here, for centuries and she hated it and and she was just like living she was living a nightmare and living torture watching everyone else live a full life live an adult life and fall in love and do all this stuff and she's just sitting here not able to do it and i'm like dang I was like, that's depressing. You're really going to make me think. You're really going to make me think about that? That's depressing. I don't want to think about it. So, whenever Sprite was like telling her sob story, I would just be, I would just like tune out. Cause I'm like, bro, I don't want to hear this right now. Like, I was just looking at, like, I was just looking at Cersei and Icarus make out. And now you're just ruining, <laughs> you're ruining the moment. <laughs> it's like, well, just come on. Just let, let, let these people be happy. And I, but I totally, it's like, I get it. I get it so i mean it's not necessarily that sprite's just a bad character or it's bad acting it's great character it's great acting it's just it's depressing as hell it's like oh my gosh why why you gotta make this girl go through all this stuff so it's and, and i honestly the other thing that i that i didn't like about sprite was i mean outside of the fact that she's younger and she's an eternal and she can do this cool mind projection thing i mean it's like i when i saw sprite when i saw her story and when i she just she kind of doesn't really fit in she's just this sort of enigma in the group i was like dang i kind of i kind of see elements of myself that i don't want to see in myself in sprite and so that's why i was like dang just like get off the screen i don't want to i don't want to talk to you right now <laughs> it's like, i don't want to i don't want to see you right now just go create volcanoes with your head or something like do some fun stuff and i was like i mean sprite sprite just kind of wants to be like everyone else and i i saw that and i and a lot of other people i feel like can relate to that they just want to have the they want to have the nice hair and the the perfect height and the perfect life and it's like dang i can relate to that and just can i go back to watching people shoot lasers out of their eyes and watching fastos create an atomic bomb and work on the manhattan project like don't don't do me like that please like don't be calling me out the that that's based that's gonna be that'll be it for for eternals and i've talked about eternals for 55 minutes so that's nice I mean, it seems logical to believe that I won't exactly be hopping on the Michigan football train in terms of this show. So Michigan football will be happening next show because they play somewhat of an important game. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday against the team that Michigan State plays this Saturday. So we'll get into we'll get into Michigan football on the next show. Definitely, that's a promise. As much as I don't want to get into Michigan football because I hate them, I will get into Michigan football. So next thing on the agenda, second thing to last, we'll see if I can speed this up a little bit. But there are some things I want to say. North Dakota hockey, okay, eight and three. In great shape. When I wanted to talk about North Dakota hockey, they were four and three. They were at a crossroads. They had just gone and lost to Penn State. They played their Hall of Fame game. They were done. They lost. They were never in control of that game. They never held a lead. They lost. They got they got manhandled by Penn State, six to four. They were four and three. They're about to start NCHC conference play and i was at a spot where i was like look i know this team's good i know there's talent this is north dakota hockey this isn't mercyhurst all right with that said i wanted to take a look at that point before the denver series and say look where can this team go what are the realistic aspirations for what this team can do what should i be looking for as a fan as sufficient what should i take based what should i understand as a fan, based on where they are, as a, as a young team, as a team with a lot of transfers, as a team that's only had, you know, seven weeks to gel, what should I be able to realistically expect and what should I measure as success and what should I measure as failure? Now, that's a little bit different of a discussion now because four games later, you swept Denver, manhandled Denver, buried Denver, put them in the ground where they belong might i add where those dirty 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 players belong okay you smacked denver and i say you because i wasn't on the ice you smacked denver i was just sitting there just dumbfounded watching carter savoy think he's think he's big man deciding to headhunt our captain and it's like yeah okay what do you think when? What do you think was going to happen, Savoy? You thought Sanderson was just going to stand there and not do anything. I think it was Sanderson. It might have, might have been Caulfield. I can't remember. But anyways, big old, big old Savoy thought. Big, <laughs> I, you know, I that that was such a stupid play. That was such a stupid play. Such an unnecessary play. You are already losing. David was not feeling it on the side on the in the coaching area for for denver it was just the game was done there was no point in that and then he he just made a fool out of himself made a fool out of himself made a fool out of his team and these teams are denver and north dakota are always chippy when they play each other it's always a it's always kind of a dog fight but it was like bro really you really thought that, that was a good decision to make carter like come on it's like you know carter just why no point you're the best player on your team there's there's respect there like i respect what he does as a player because he's he's best player by Denver. It's not even close. And he just went and killed our captain. It was like, okay, nice job, buddy. I am gonna talk similar to how I wanted to talk about North Dakota, but kind of four games, four games later, right? So, what is the ceiling? What's the realistic scenario? What's the biggest challenge to get where they want to go? And who should they be looking out for that could stop them from achieving? what they want to achieve. So, I mean, the ceiling is obviously, it's a national championship. The ceiling has to be a national championship every year when, when we're talking North Dakota hockey because they're that good. They're that established of a program. I don't think you can go into any season up here and have the ceiling not be the national championship because we know how well coached they are. We know the talent that they bring in year in, year out. To their program. So the ceiling is is a national championship. The realistic scenario that I want to look at is you got you gotta be in the chase of the Penrose. You have to be. The real is you you need to be playing in a game for the Penrose Cup. I don't think I don't think that this season, I mean, especially based on how the last four games went. Yeah, I mean you escaped Miami in game two, but still there is definitely I don't think you can consider this season a success. Without saying you were in contention for the Penrose, I'm not saying you were top four and you could have had the Penrose Cup. I'm saying you need to be playing in a game in which, if you win, the Penrose is yours. So that's that's what I that's what I think that the realistic scenario has to be. I think anything short of that, it, it has to be considered a failure. The biggest challenge. This is one where. I like doing this episode now because the biggest challenge, one of their biggest challenges comes to town this weekend. And I thought the Denver series was a measuring stick and a measuring stick series, and it was, and they smacked Denver. So we, I mean, we know that they're, they're good. We know that they're good and we know that they can easily establish themselves in the top three of the NCHC, just, just based on the way that they handled Denver. Now, now you get Duluth. Now Duluth comes to town, and Duluth is number four, I think, in pretty much all the polls. And so now, now you get a big boy coming to town. Now you get a team that is better than you, people think is better than you. People line up. This is the first game that you've really matched up, and you're not ahead in all the statistics. We are this is a team where we stack up and we say they could beat us they are potentially better than us and denver was kind of the same way you thought like like denver is good they can beat us but they didn't have the advantage statistically we did we had the statistical advantage over denver outside of i think maybe i I think denver gives gives up less goals per game denver gave up less goals per game than we did i think that was where denver had the advantage but everywhere else we had the advantage and so now it's like I mean Duluth stacks up well against us. Duluth scores. Duluth defends. They're fast. Duluth is. I mean, there's just like you have to look. You have to look at these at these two teams and say, "Uh oh, we we could be in big trouble." This is a big this is a big measuring stick game for this. This series could tell us how far we can actually go because Duluth is a team that people say should easily be competing for a Frozen Four. And now we get them. We get them in our house. That's because beauty of playing in the NCHC, too. You're regularly playing against opponents that could pop into the frozen front. I mean, St. Cloud did it. And St. Cloud's the other team that's in my that's in my biggest challenge column, right? So I got St. Cloud and Duluth. And Duluth, Duluth's come to town this weekend, and I'm ready. I'm ready to see what this team can do against Duluth. I think it's going to tell a lot. How, how are we going to handle conference success now? Because we started four and three, and there were questions. There were rumors. We weren't. We weren't really sure what was happening. Things starting to straighten up. Had a great get-right series against Denver, and now it's go time. And now it's time to see how this team deals with the success of the last two series. Clean sweeps. I mean, the, the last Miami game wasn't exactly. It wasn't perfect, right? But they won. They won four in a row. So now we got to see. Now we got to see what happens when Duluth comes to town. And I'm. I'm also gonna. add... That game starts at seven on Friday. I'm gonna be. I'll be out there at four. I'm getting glass for this game. I am ready. I'm really. I'm ready. I'm gonna be out there two hours before they let people in. I'll be sitting there with my hot chocolate, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be ready for that Duluth game, sitting outside of the hockey arena. So, what's gonna happen next is I want to take a look at just. I just want to take a look at a couple of statistics for. I'm not. I'm not gonna go into the big picture anymore i'm just gonna take a look at this series what north dakota needs to do to take care of this series so first things first uh the goal margin 1.27 for north dakota that's 10th in the nation third in the nchc the goal scoring we score 3.82 goals per game that's seventh in the country third in the nchc goal defense 28 goals and 11 games given up by us, 19th in the country, fifth in the NCHC. So you can kind of see that we're pretty much in the middle of the pack when it comes to the conference. I mean, fifth in the NCHC, then third in the NCHC the other thing. So I mean it's not necessarily middle of the pack, but it is we're not the best, right? We're kind of in that tier where it's like, okay, we know that we're good. But how good are we actually? The defense here is going to be the question mark. And it's kind of been the question mark all season where the defense gives up some goals. and But then we score a lot of goals. And then we kind of just, okay, we won the game. That was what happened with Miami, right? 5-4. Beat Miami 5-4. Gave up a lot of goals. Looked kind of sloppy on the defensive end. But hey, got away with the win because we can score. And we can score. And that's what I want to talk about, right? So our defense has been in, it's been inconsistent. You don't really know what defense of what Driscoll you're gonna get each each outing, each series. Right. So last seven games it's been four goals, they've given up. It's been given up four goals, one goal, one goal, one goal, a little bit of consistency there, then six goals, Penn State, one goal and five goals. So you don't really know what you're gonna get. Are you gonna get the team that gives up four or five six goals or are you going to get the team that gives up one goal all right so in the miami game they give up four goals and they won so a lot I, what what i want to say here is is the magic number here is three for me for my for for winning right like the in the nba you see what's the magic number Let's see one two three for me for north dakota the magic number is going to be three all right so goal driscoll Has allowed 26 goals this season, 2.38 goal allowed average, 26 in the country for Driscoll, right? So the thing is, is that we know know that our Sioux can score. We all know that. We've all seen it, right? North Dakota can get in an offensive shootout and they can win games where they give up four to five goals. Their problem is, is they're going to lose just as many games as they win when they give up that many goals. The key is to get the defense tightened up. Defense has got to play. It's just got to be consistent is what it is. It's just got to be a little bit more consistent because you saw, right? Four goals, one goal, one goal, one goal, six goals, one goal, five goals. It's like, okay, you have games where you only give up one goal, but then you have this Enigma game where you give up five goals. And it's like, okay, how do we get, how do we flatline this out of it? Because it's like, it's, you know, it's bouncing up and down. It's like, whoop. Boop, 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 boop. But you want it to be kind of more of a flat line where you're giving up two 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 three one 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 two one two three one two and then five and then one one two three two one one. It's like okay, now it's a little bit more consistent. The what I what I don't like is how it's inconsistent. I don't like how it how it spikes and how it drops. It's like six one. One, five, one, five. So I just think, I think just needs to get, the, the defense just needs to get short up a little bit. I think it can obviously happen. There's no reason to believe that something is, like everything's just going to completely fall apart and the defense is going to collapse or it's going to stay like this for the season. Obviously adjustments are going to be made and things are, things are going to shore up. And, I, and you've seen it, right? Ever since, right? So they started, it was, the three goal, the last three go- games to end the non-conference, it was five goals, one goal, six goals. Since then, it's been one goal, one goal, one goal, four goals. Right? That's how many goals they've given up in the last four since NCHC play started. Gave up one goal to Denver in game one, one goal to Denver in game two, one goal to Miami in game one, and then four goals in Miami in game two. So if it's gonna be one 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 four, then one 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 four and then one one five, right? I'm not exactly a fan of that, but if you can put together three to four one to two goal games, then a three, and then some more one to two goal games, and then you have a five in there somewhere, right? that's okay. You play in the NCHC. Crazy things are gonna happen. Teams are gonna score a lot of goals. That's just the way it works in this conference. It's crazy out here, it's a crazy world. So again, the magic number here, like I'm going to say, I'll get in this now. The magic number for me is three. Things are going to look really good for the team. The defense tightens up seven and oh, when they give up three goals or less, three goals or less, that's not less than three goals. That's not being crazy and saying you need to give up two or less goals a game to win. That's three goals or less. If you give up three goals, Three goals or less if you're North Dakota, you don't lose. You haven't lost this season. That's what the stats are saying, right? One goal per period, you're fine. You win the game. If you give up three goals or less, you are winning if you're North Dakota. And that's that's the thing with me where it's like this team can be really sneaky good because they haven't, they haven't been in the top five yet this season. They've just been hanging around the lower half of the top ten. And if they if they shore up the defense, if things, if just, you know, buttons get put in the right, if things if things just tighten up, so if things can just tighten up, they get more communication on defense, Driscoll makes some more big saves, they're not giving up as many shots on goal per game as they are, things can really turn around for this team. And, and I think they are. I think you're starting to see how good this team can be when the defense is communicating well and the defense is turning much more into offense. And, and I just, I really, I really like what I've seen with these last four games in the Miami game. The second game of the Miami series was an anomaly, but they still won just because of how much they can score. They had an uh-oh on defense. They gave up four goals, but hey, look, you still won the game because you scored five goals and that's it. So it's you. the, if, if you hold true to that three, if you hold that magic number of three, there's there's not much that can be done for other teams because you're gonna score 3 goals a game that that's how it's gone you score well above 3 goals per game you score 3.82 goals per game so if you're only give if you're giving up 3 goals or less per game you're going to be in good shape you're going to be in contention every game and your offense is going to keep you in it and you're always going to have a chance to win but the the thing is is you shouldn't you can't continue to get in to these races to four or five goals with people because eventually something's going to happen in the offense. The puck the puck won't settle. You'll be having rough The bounces won't go your way. You won't get the puck luck, and you're going to only score two or three goals. But if the defense can be consistently holding people to three or less, there's no reason that you can't go out on any given day and beat anybody, right? And so that's, that's basically... That's basically what I want to say about North Dakota hockey for now because it's still so, it's still relatively early. I'm not gonna get super deep into you know, playoff scenarios, what could happen in the conference. I just want to take a take a step back and give like a first not not first half of the season. I mean kind of uh, we're not really in December yet, so it's not the first half of the season, but just like a look as as conference play starts up and we kinda we get into the Get into the heart of the schedule and say look what can this team do how can we take a look at this team and evaluate what's happening with all the transfers what can be realistic to expect from this team and so you know the average goals per game is it's well above three and I should I would realistically expect it to stay that way I mean Calder's been fantastic Gaber's been fantastic everyone everyone on this team is a scoring threat those two are just the main ones and I have a, I mean, Ashton Calder's from my home state, so it's like, keep rolling, bud. Like, obviously, it's like, represent, represent Michigan well. Unlike the Lions. Unlike the Lions, that was a, now that, I'll say, that was a high-level transition. I, that is high level. That's high level. We're ending with the Lions. High level transition. You want to know who represents Michigan well? Ashton it. You want to know who doesn't represent Michigan well? The Lions. I will end it on this sort of rant, but it's not a rant because I'm actually going to break something down, unlike like what happened last week. By the way, I hope people enjoyed my sadness and pain and aggression Last week, it was, that was, that was a tough one to record, but it was worth it because I did, I did have fun with it. And like I said, I like what I had. So we're going to do a little bit of lions. <sighs> yeah, we're going to do a little bit of lions. Okay. It's, it's, it's just like ripping the bandaid off. You just got to start doing it because it's painful to start to talk about because you hate all of it, but you just have, you just got to talk about it and then things get better. So, Dan Campbell gets play-calling duties. Now, Dan Campbell has not been a coordinator, never called a play in his life. Maybe he's called three. I don't know. Tight ends coach, right? So now he takes the play-calling duties away from Anthony Lynn, who has been a coordinator, who has been a head coach, who does have this experience, And I will be completely honest, I wasn't a big fan, okay? I was not exactly happy with what I saw out of Mr. Campbell in terms of play calling selection, in terms of how he managed the game, but it was fun to see what the team looked like. It was fun to have something to take away. It was fun to have something to break down, because I haven't, we haven't had that with our poor un- Gosh, well, this franchise. We haven't had it. We just haven't had it, and it was fun. It was fun to take a look at it and say, okay, I have something to review. I have something to break down. Dan Campbell's calling plays. This is like the, it's like the first, my It was like the first test for meteorology for me. It was like, okay, I've been doing this, I've been learning, and now I'm gonna take my first test, and we're gonna see how it goes. Now, unlike Dan Campbell, I did pretty good. I got a mid. I got a B, like a mid-level B. So I was like, okay, not bad. Dan Campbell didn't really get a B in my mind. He got like a low C, maybe high like the d plus low c but my here's my biggest problem with what dan campbell did and and i don't know how in control of the defense he is so if he's not in control like okay i'm not going to talk about the defense never mind I i'm not going to talk about the defense because they just continue to do three man rushes and i I just i hate it three man rush on third and four Uh, three-man rush on the James Washington. You dropped, you rushed three when the other team was in the red zone in a mid-yarded situation, and you still left James Washington wide open in the end zone for a touchdown on Pittsburgh's first possession of the game. It's like, what is happening here? But anyways, the third down play calling Campbell, I mean, my gosh, what what is going on? Why? Third and 12, opening drive, you're down a touchdown. It's third and twelve. The weather hasn't even gotten bad yet. It's just it's third and twelve. It's cloudy. It's cold. Jared Goff's your quarterback. DeAndre Swift's in the backfield. Okay, let's see. What are we gonna drop here? What's Campbell c- gonna call? What's gonna be his super kneecap awesomeness? Third and twelve play. Halfback draw. What? Halfback draw. It it's it's third and twelve. Yeah, yeah, and what what's your point? I I thought that was the down where we pass and try and get the first down, instead of just punting it away to a team who just marched right down the field on our defense and scored a touchdown. No 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 no. No we're we're gonna punt. We're gonna we're gonna do a draw play on third and twelve, and we're gonna punt. Alright, well, play conservative sure. Let's see what happens. Maybe defense gets a stop. We get the ball back. We play a little bit more aggressive. Okay. Goff gets a route. He, whatever the play call was, Khalif Raymond streaking down the field. He's got a step and a half on his man. Under throws him by a zillion. A zillion. And the play is just dead. The play's over. Khalif Raymond had two steps on whoever was guarding. It might have been Joe Hayden and before he got hurt. And he's just all the way down the field, and Goff just throws a just a nothing ball. Just a big, just a big zero, in my book, is what he threw. He just threw a big zero and falls harmlessly to the ground. That's when I was like, okay. So maybe we're not gonna throw deep. Then on that same drive. Third and ten comes up, and we're like, "Oh boy, what are we gonna do now?" Oh, here I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna run a draw play again. Oh, oh, we're we're gonna do another draw play. Okay, why? Why? What purpose does it serve? Okay, you you have not yet. You've had some success. you haven't opened it up yet up to this point now you will open it up later in the game but to this point you haven't had a ton of success in the run game and you run a draw play on 3rd and 10 again and you're still losing you are still losing the game (sighs) okay now you continue to run more draw plays on more third downs and he continue to run the ball more and it's to the point with me where i need to ask myself and i need to sit back as i'm watching the game i need to say okay what is dan campbell trying to establish here and that's when i was like okay he wants to build this team in the trenches what he wants to do is he wants the toughness, the grittiness, the kneecap, whatever. He wants all of it. Okay? So <laughs> he continues to run the ball. And I've accepted that it's just gonna be run the ball moment now for for third down. It's like, alright, whatever. I accept my fate. I've just if you're if you're gonna run the ball like that, it doesn't make sense to me why you would leave like in the in the p- press conference after the game, this is see, this is where I get confused. At, in the press conference after the game, he's talking about how like Jared Goff wasn't really able to throw the ball. And he was dealing and I'm I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there watching this game, watching Jared Goff wrapped up like he's Frankenstein on the bench. He, he, it looks odd. Oh, he's got all these band aids wrapped around his his midsection, and he's dealing with whatever rib issue he's dealing with. And he looks out. He goes out there. You know he doesn't look right, and he's just he's just not playing well. He's not throwing the ball. I mean his stat his stats terrible. He attempted twenty five passes. Ten didn't cross the line of scrimmage. Eighteen of those passes didn't make it more than ten yards down the field. yards per attempt this season. It's second worst in the NFL. He's taken 219 sack yards this season. That's most in the league. And it's just like, why? Why do you keep putting us through this? Help us. Because he's not winning. He's not playing. He's not throwing the ball. He's a quarterback. He's meant to throw the ball. So why is he in there when he's hurt, okay? This is what I'm thinking just as I'm watching the game. I'm writing my little analyses down on my little piece of paper that I have that I refine into what I want the show to look like three days later, okay? And I just, I I take deep breaths because I need to understand what happens. And sometimes you take a step back, you breathe a little bit, and you say, okay, I understand what he's thinking. When it comes to Goff, <laughs> what is he thinking? It doesn't make any sense to me. Because one, your quarterback is garbage when he's healthy. And I'm not saying that Tim Boyle and David Blau are the solution. I'm not saying they're the future. And I also want to point out that... Campbell today in the press conference talking about how, you know, Goff is injured and there's question marks about if he can play next week. We've it's only been Blau. The conversation has been replace Goff with Blau. Tim Boyle was taking more first team reps in practice today than David Blau. So just, just let that sink in for a minute. We've been all talking about let David Blau be the guy. Well, it turns out, geniuses, it might actually end up being Tim Boyle that ends up being the guy, and that terrifies me even more because Tim Boyle looked terrible in the pre And this is the preseason. I don't let preseason determine things that are going to happen, but if you look awful in the preseason, chances are you're going to look awful in the regular season. I don't let preseason success... Say that you're gonna do great in the regular season, but Tim Boyle looked. I can usually say if a team or a player is gonna be not like if if someone does bad in the preseason, it's like okay, chances are he'll do bad in the regular season. Well, Tim Boyle looked awful in the preseason, so I'm terrified for what's gonna happen. Like, and it's another thing I think about how bad does David Blau look? Like, how awful must David Blau look, to be getting less first-team reps in practice than Tim Boyle. It's like, okay, this doesn't make sense. But anyways, what is Goff doing? He's, He's literally sitting there in pain. You can see him wincing out on the field, handing the ball off to DeAndre Swift, barely able to throw the ball. And it's like... Why do you do this? Why do you continue to put us as fans and Jared Goff as your quarterback, who you would like to protect, through this? And I, I, why? That's my, just why? What is the purpose? What were you trying to accomplish? Because you were running the ball anyways. You had no plans on throwing the ball. Might as well put a backup in there and let him at least play. And let him hand the ball off to DeAndre Swift or, you know, Godwin Igwe Bikwe and Jamar Jefferson. Like, see it just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I don't know. I I was not I was not a fan of what Dan Campbell was doing in that game Sunday. And I mean look, his players his players made some mistakes as well, including his Pro Bowl tight end, might I add. His Pro Bowl tight end was out there taking stupid holding penalties. That was nice blasted our kicker out of field goal range. Now, in the end, unfortunately, that holding call didn't matter because we signed a professional NFL kicker to our football team that can't kick the ball over the crossbar on a 48-yard field goal when it doesn't get blocked or nobody's in the way. That was unbelievable. That was awful. I mean, I, I looked at that, and I was like, oh, man, the guy blocked the kick. Wow, that was actually kind of a nice play by Pittsburgh. Maybe they do want to win the game shows up to... Replay pops up on the screen. No, nobody blocked it. Perfect hold, perfect snap. The the kicker just hit the ball wrong. It's like, really? Are you kidding me? This this is what I have to deal with. Are you serious? So. Forward down the field. A charging team that will not yield. Anyways. Uh, Well... The Lions. The Lions, the Lions, the Lions that I mean there's a there's a little bit more that I want to say about the Lions, but it, it is it is painful. it is painful and I I don't know. It's like it's beating a dead horse kinda. It's just like it's like why? Why do I have to keep saying the same stuff the team is terrible and they're just they invent new ways to lose every time when you're 0-8-1 you find creative ways to get to that point and that's just where i'm at it's just like what have they done this time crazy coaching pro bowl tight end holding call kadero hodge doesn't establish himself in the in the field of play and allow and makes it so that they can't get the ball back on the four-yard line. Kicker misses PAT. Fumble here, fumble there, interception. Everyone's fumbling. Everyone's throwing interception. Actually, Jared Goff didn't throw a pick. <laughs> but it's like, man, neither of those teams wanted to win, and they got what they deserved. Neither of those teams wanted to win. Neither of those teams played to win. And fittingly, neither of them came out with a win. They came out with a tie. So good for them. They deserve it. Both of them deserve it. And in <laughs> it's just the Lions. I oh eight and one, people I hear people like, Oh hey, at least they didn't lose and it's like, yeah, at least they didn't lose. This is where we are. This is as a as a team, as a fan base and as a franchise. This is where we are every Sunday. Well, at least we didn't lose. Just I don't know. I just would like to think of my team as a professional franchise and that they actually are capable of winning games. But then everyone tells me that I'm crazy and that there is zero chance that they ever win anything ever. And I'm to the point where I'm starting to believe them because things are not looking up, really. They're really not. But, you know, hopefully maybe something happens and I get proved wrong after they get killed by Cleveland in four days. Because Cleveland's in a get-right situation after getting embarrassed by New England. So, yeah, we're going to an angry Cleveland Browns stadium against a team that is still in contention for their division and a team that's in a must-win situation. And we're, yeah, Sunday's going to be rough. But hopefully, up until Sunday will be kind of nice. You know, we got got michigan state basketball tonight big big east showdown against butler Uh, michigan state ohio state which is gonna be interesting because as it stands people are like oh yeah michigan state not a chance and i mean vegas kind of thinks that too based on the fact that ohio state's a 19 point favorite and that michigan state is plus 700 on the money line, question mark, 700, they're the number seven team in the country, you realize that, right, and Ohio State's number four, that's that's two numbers separating seven and four, that would be five and six, and you have Michigan State as a plus 700 underdog, I mean, like this is crazy what Vegas does to try and balance out money, I just, this is interesting, I just want to point this out, So Michigan State, plus 700 on the money line. According to CBS Sports and their Odds Caesars Sportsbook, 67% of the public bet on Michigan State just because of that money line. Plus 700. (laughs) How does that happen in minus, minus 110 odds for Michigan State? To cover that spread. And that's how, that's how Vegas traps you. 79% of the public bet on Michigan State to cover the 19 point spread and 67% of the public bet on just Michigan State straight money line. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's how they get you. That is how they get you. That is how you end up living with your parents. That is crazy. So expect that line to definitely move down with now I've, i actually don't I don't know what percentage of the money that public bet is, maybe more of the actual money is on the Ohio state end of things, but just looking at it, how over seventy percent of the public bet is on actually i can I can look at that I'm actually gonna see if I can pull this up really fast, okay, maybe it won't let me let's see. I'm sorry, this is very inconvenient. I just kind of got into this uh it won't tell me line movement see okay is all this analysis game logs okay it doesn't say at least I can't find it just based off looking what the money is how much what, what percent of the money is 67% cuz it could be it could very well be 79 of the public bet is only 48% of the money whereas all the Ohio state fans that make up 21% of the bets they're bringing in all the money because they have more faith in their team, whereas it's just a bunch of people that are like, "Oh, hey, look at this! Michigan State plus nineteen. I'll drop a twenty on that, and then that's where you get seventy-nine percent of the public bet. And that's what that's that's where I think the thing the thing that kind of weirds me out is the public bet aspect of it, or not the public the the spread aspect. Because it's like with the public bet, I get you know it's sixty-seven percent of the public bets on Michigan State plus seven hundred. seven are they're, the, they're the seventh ranked team in the country for a reason, fellas. So it's like, okay, you're ranked number seven. You're plus seven hundred on the money line every day. Normal North Dakotan sees then. It's like, sure, I'll drop a I'll drop a fifty dollar bill from the oil fields on Michigan State. Why not put the put that fifty dollars in on plus seven hundred odds? You never know, right? Well, maybe I get lucky on the number seven team in the country. Maybe they just pull off a victory similar to victories that they've pulled off in the last I don't know seven years. Where they've beaten Ohio State and Columbus, I don't know. Interesting. They do have the Heisman. I mean, they do have the Heisman front runner on their team. Let's we'll put it that way. The the yeah. The thing that kind of weirds me out though is seventy nine percent of the public bet on the on Michigan State to cover the nineteen point spread, at only minus one ten odds. But I don't sports gamble, so why should I care? <laughs> yeah, well, there's no point in me. I don't. I don't know why I talk about it. I don't care because I don't sports gamble. But for those of you that do legally, just some weird stuff. Some weird stuff that I saw. So I'm glad I I'm glad I didn't have to talk about the Lions for that long. I control I control my little adventure here on the show. So Lions Lions talk was it was it was painful and I honestly didn't want to talk about it for that long because I already had a lot of other stuff that I was talking about. And what is there to say? really. I mean, they're terrible. They are terrible. But big weekend. Big weekend in sports for for Michigan State. Big weekend in sports for North Dakota hockey. Bigger weekend for North Dakota football. How about that game against South Dakota State, huh? Chance to go 6-5, and five, salvage the season, finish with a positive record? Just kidding. Nobody cares. And I will not be watching. I just want to make that very clear. I have other things to do on my saturday like watch michigan state and ohio state and watch other watchable football games with teams that don't run read option every play but either way hope north dakota wins against south dakota state good luck guys have fun in brookings i've heard it's a nice place we're down the hill <laughs>